1: To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: A crazy thing happened to a Texas woman in the lead up to the midterms. Crystal Mason, a 43-year-old mother, got arrested and later sentenced to prison time. It was for an unusual reason, for voting. After Crystal cast a ballot in 2016, she went home and thought nothing of it. Until one day, a stranger approached her in a hallway.
1: A lady stopped me. and She said, go ahead and place your hand behind your back. You're being arrested for illegally voting. And when she said, I had to think, like, are you serious? She put me to the car. And when I went in the car, that's when she, uh, I said, but ma'am, tell me why am I being arrested? I did everything right. She said, "Um, you're on probation and you don't supposed to vote on probation. I was like, what? I don't have any of this in my paperwork. No one told me I couldn't vote, ma'am. Like, I'm, like, pleading, like, ma'am, don't take me to jail. This has got to be a mistake.
2: What were you thinking in that moment?
1: I was devastated. Like, that, that was the one place that I was never going back to. That was one place that was nowhere near on my plan of my future.
2: That's because Crystal Mason had already been to prison. She'd served more than three years for tax fraud. In 2015, she was released to a halfway house and reunited with her kids. She had a job and was going to school. But this year, Crystal was sentenced to five years in state prison and 10 months in federal prison. That's where she is today, all because she cast a ballot.
1: I was offered eight years for illegally voting.
2: And she got five.
1: And it just didn't make any sense. Like, are y'all serious?
2: From HuffPost, this is Shut Out, a podcast about the fight to vote in America. I'm your host, Katherine St. Louis. This is episode two, Jailed for Voting. In Texas, felons on probation like Crystal can't vote. To be able to, they have to be totally done with their sentence. Off parole, off probation, no longer under any supervision. But Crystal didn't know that. She says no one ever told her, not the judge who sentenced her, AND NO ONE AT THE HALFWAY HOUSE WHERE SHE FIRST LIVED WHEN SHE GOT OUT.
1: MY SUPERVISED RELEASE OFFICER, SUPERVISOR, TESTIFIED ON THE STAND AND STATED THAT HE NEVER TOLD ME THAT I COULD NOT VOTE.
2: YEAH. SO YOU DIDN'T KNOW? NO, NOT AT ALL. IT'S EASY TO SEE WHY CRYSTAL WOULD BE CONFUSED. THE RULES ON WHEN FELONS CAN VOTE VARY WIDELY. IN SOME STATES, YOU CAN VOTE ON PROBATION. IN TWO STATES, YOU CAN EVEN VOTE WHILE INCARCERATED. IN THE STRICTEST STATES, FELONS CAN NEVER VOTE AGAIN. You heard that right, they get a lifetime ban.
3: There's enormous confusion about felony disenfranchisement laws. The amount of confusion is remarkable and the fact that you know every state can determine its own policies means it's just a, a maze to get through and to try to understand um, what your legal rights actually are.
2: That's Mark Maurer. He's the executive director of the Sentencing Project, a group dedicated to criminal justice reform. Even election officials don't always know the rules on which felons can vote when. In 2005, the sentencing project called up election officials in 10 states to give them a kind of pop quiz on their local policy. They did not do very well. We found a 30%
3: error rate among the election officials themselves.
2: Actually, 37% of officials got it wrong.
3: So in some cases, they believed people had the right to vote when that was not the policy in their state. In other cases, they incorrectly thought people were denied the right to vote in certain circumstances when that was not the case either.
2: If a third of election officials get their state policy wrong, how can we expect felons like Crystal to always get it right? Crystal didn't even want to vote. A guilt trip is what got her to the polls for the 2016 presidential election. Her mom wouldn't let up.
1: She's been telling me over and over, Crystal, go vote, go vote. And I was like, yes, mom, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. When I got off work, it was raining. I was like, ugh.
2: Still, she picked up her niece and they went together.
1: We um, went down to the local church right here on Rendon Drive.
2: It was the same church where Crystal had voted before she went to prison.
1: A young man, Well, he was looking for my name. Then he turned around. uh, He said, I don't see you anywhere. I was like, okay, then, you know.
2: Her niece was getting impatient.
1: She was just standing there, like, okay, then, we can't vote. Let's go.
2: They decided to leave. So were you kind of resigned that you couldn't vote, or were you mad that you couldn't? I wasn't at all.
1: I was like, okay, I, I did what my mom said. I came here, okay.
2: If this were a movie, this would be the turning point. Because if Crystal had walked away and gotten in her car, she wouldn't be in prison. But then the poll worker made a suggestion.
1: And, and the guy said, but um, you can fill out a provisional form. And I was like, well, what's that? He said, if you're at the right location, it'll count. But if you're not, it won't. I said, oh, OK, well, I can fill out that.
2: To cast a provisional ballot, Crystal had to sign an affidavit swearing she was an eligible voter and not unsupervised release. It's in this long chunk of information in the tiniest font at the top of the form. But she did what so many of us do. She skipped the fine print and signed. In court, she said she never would have voted if she had known it was forbidden. She had just seen her daughter graduate high school. Things were going well. She argued in court, why would she jeopardize everything to vote? In the end, the vote she cast didn't even count. And still, she got punished.
3: This is a ridiculous, ridiculous sentence. And it's, it's, it's really uh, distressing, you know, that somebody can be prosecuted and
2: given a five-year
3: term for voting.
2: That's Lorraine Manitti. She's the author of The Myth of Voter Fraud and a Rutgers professor. She
3: was willing to say, I made a mistake. I own it. I made a mistake. I think that's very clear. Why was she prosecuted? She was perhaps prosecuted and received a harsh sentence because there was an effort to make an example of her.
2: TIMING WAS EVERYTHING. THE DISTRICT ATTORNEY WHO PROSECUTED CRYSTAL, HER NAME WAS SHARON WILSON, SHE WAS RUNNING FOR REELECTION, TOUTING HERSELF AS A PROVEN CHAMPION FOR JUSTICE. CRYSTAL GOT HER HARSH SENTENCE BEFORE THE MIDTERMS, AND HER CASE GOT NATIONAL ATTENTION. CRYSTAL FELT HER PROSECUTION WAS ABOUT MAKING A STATEMENT. WHAT DO YOU THINK THE STATEMENT IS, CRYSTAL?
1: STAY AWAY FROM THE POLLS. IF YOU GO TO THE POLLS, THIS COULD HAPPEN TO YOU. SO IT LEAVES A LOT OF PEOPLE UNSURE, CAN THEY VOTE OR NOT?
2: That confusion is a kind of voter suppression. Felons who heard of Crystal's case might not vote. Felons might stay home rather than risk breaking the rules. We reached out to Sharon Wilson, the DA of Tarrant County, after she won re election in November, and she declined to comment on Crystal's case. Why does the United States disenfranchise people like Crystal? And not just a few. Roughly six million Americans can't vote because of a felony. And in our country, it seems like felons are never really done paying for their crime. Even if they've served their time, been on probation for years, they're considered second class citizens every election day. Somehow, voting rights has become wrapped up in a morality play. Today, it's as if felons have to pass a character test to vote. That's not democratic in a democracy.
3: When you turn 18, everyone can march down to the local city hall and register to vote. No one asks me if I have a drinking problem. No one asks me if I've been truant at school. That's what we mean by democracy, that it's not a question of character, it's a question of citizenship.
2: Throughout American history, the right to vote has been expanded to different groups. African-Americans, women, teenagers, But one group that we still feel comfortable shutting out is people with felony convictions, all because of this kind of character test.
3: Over the course of some 200 years, we've done away with all those other exclusions, and the ban on people with felony conviction remains the fundamental block to full democratic participation in the United States.
2: In episode one, we covered how poll taxes and literacy tests were used to keep black men from voting after 1870, when the 15th Amendment was adopted. But another powerful and often overlooked tool was taking away their right to vote if they committed certain crimes. Take Alabama. In 1850, just 2% of prisoners were not white. But in 1870, just 20 years later they made up 74% of prisoners. What changed? That massive increase came after 1868, when Alabama banned voting by all felons and ex-felons. Christopher Uggen and Jeff Manza describe this period well in their book, Locked Out. But what about today? 48 states legally disenfranchise people with felony convictions in some way, but nowhere is this a bigger deal than Florida, More than a quarter of felons who can't vote live in the Sunshine State.
3: You know, Florida has been the uh, sort of epicenter of felony disenfranchisement.
2: Florida was another state that made it harder for felons to vote after the Civil War. Until recently, more than one in five African Americans in Florida couldn't vote due to felony convictions. And black people are disproportionately impacted because they're more likely to get charged with a felony than a white person who commits the same crime. Florida has a long history of permanently taking away voting rights from felons. And to get them back, some felons have to appeal to the governor himself. But first, they have to completely finish their sentence, then wait five to seven years, and then apply for clemency. And even after that, it can be a long wait for a hearing. This September, I went to a clemency hearing in Tallahassee, And I met a 58-year-old felon who was forced to sit out every election for 23 years.
4: My name is Rolando Piega, and I came to restore my civil rights. And uh, thank God I got it.
2: We're in an elevator. Our interview happened on the move because he was running, literally, to catch a plane back home to Davie, Florida. But while I had him, I asked him, why did he apply for clemency?
4: It's, It's important to exercise your right to vote. And if they take it away from me, you feel... Like a misfit. When did you
2: put in for clemency, sir?
4: Back in uh, 2007.
2: That's 11 years ago.
4: That's yeah. incredible. I hear there's a lot of people stuck, you know, in, in the pipeline.
2: He's right. For years, there's been a backlog of more than 10,000 applications. That's because hearings only happen four times a year. So do you feel lucky?
5: Absolutely.
2: God bless. Lucky, and yet you waited 11 years, sir? Yes, I did. Another lucky one was Ricardo McLeroy. He got his hearing after seven years. He was just a skinny 21-year-old when he lost his right to vote because of a felony. You don't have to show up in Tallahassee, but it really helps if you come in person to plead your case. Some people drive all night, others fly. Ricardo lives in Florida's capital, So last June, he took the day off and went to try to get his voting rights back.
6: Number 82, Ricardo Michael Roy, is here.
2: Ricardo stepped up to the podium. He was in a classic white polo shirt, slacks, and loafers. He looked much younger than his 38 years. Good morning. Good morning. When it came time for him to speak, Ricardo was nervous.
5: I'm just going to state that I assume all responsibility and my acts in the situation that happened in 2001. I'm pretty much a more mature man the last 12 years I've been working at Southern seafood, so just just open to get my rights back so I can vote do whatever I need to do.
2: Ricardo was facing a clemency board of four state officials. Attorney General Pam Bondi was there, and then Governor Rick Scott too. They have a thick file on each applicant. Behind Ricardo, there's an audience of people waiting for their turn at the podium. Some will ask for the right to carry a handgun again. Others want to be able to vote. It's uncomfortable to see grown men and women beg. What did it feel like in that moment to have four people, not only judging your past, but definitely sizing you up in the moment?
5: It's almost terrifying because like, for one, if you're not a person that can speak in the public and you're kind of intimidated and shot already, to get up in front of multiple people and have to explain why do you think you should have your rights restored? It's kind of like, oh my God, what do I say?
2: Nearly two decades ago, Ricardo got convicted of aggravated battery after a domestic dispute. He was visiting a girlfriend at her apartment when they began to argue. A neighbor called the cops, and in the end, Ricardo was arrested. At his clemency hearing, Jimmy Petronas, Florida's chief financial officer, asked him about that day in 2001.
5: So I'm reading your version of the story. Yes, sir. You were outside playing basketball, and she started digging through your phone. Yes, sir. Were you running around on her?
2: Ricardo mutters a faint no, but otherwise, he's speechless. So when we met in September, we listened to the hearing together, and I asked him, What did you think about that comment?
5: kind of took that a little personal, I'm not going to lie, because it kind of made me seem like I was running around with multiple women at that particular time. What does that have to do with my rights? But okay, we wasn't exclusive, if you want to know and then you ask a person that type of question and I got to answer that question in front of a room full of people how do you answer that question in a in a
2: professional way no questions are off limits at Florida's clemency hearings there isn't even a set criteria for felons to have to meet to get their rights restored courts have the
4: law to guide them but the clemency board our clemency board makes judgments of conscience based upon the suitability of each applicant to be granted clemency.
2: Put another way, then-Governor Scott explained.
4: There's no law we're following. The law has already been followed by uh, the judges. So we get to make our decisions based on our own beliefs.
2: Really what he's saying is he's the decider, and these other state officials are too. The four of us will judge you according to our morals. We reserve the right to shame you in public. We alone decide who's good, who's bad, kind of like God does. So don't flinch when we ask you about miscarriage.
4: So, um, she lost the baby.
2: Or your habits.
4: Do you use drugs now?
2: The Clemency Board just might ask you about your six kids and whether you fathered them with the same woman or multiple women. Petronas has asked clemency applicants and their relatives. Y'all go to church? Or... Do you ever go take your parents to dinner? I, for one, would love to know what footing the restaurant bill has to do with voting. But the Clemency Board never has to give an explanation for their rationale. There's a memorable moment at the end of Ricardo's seven minutes that shows just how much discretion the board has. When Ricardo gets his rights back, he's grateful and shocked. The board had grilled him about his sex life and his marriage status. And then suddenly, their verdict was positive.
5: Okay, move to Grant. Agree. Agreed. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck.
2: Ricardo was so elated, he didn't hear what else got caught on tape. So when we met, I played it for him. Petronas is the board member who asked Ricardo whether he was sleeping around. He turned to Rick Scott and said... He didn't know how that was going to go. What Petronas said was that Ricardo didn't know how that was going to go. And then Governor Scott responded... Now,
4: if he hadn't been here...
2: Now, if he hadn't been here, Petronas says, yeah, exactly. It's rare to have two people in power so openly acknowledge that power. In that moment, they decided Ricardo should vote again, so he can. For them, it was just seven minutes. For Ricardo, it changed how he sees himself.
5: You gain a part of yourself back.
2: So it's pretty good that you showed up, right?
5: It's definitely a good thing that I showed up because just hearing what I just heard was kind of like, had I not been there, it would have been an easy decision to just say, deny.
2: For centuries, we as Americans have been comfortable with the fact that criminals lose their right to vote. But that might be changing. In November, Floridians voted to abolish the part of their constitution that forbids felons from casting ballots. The change was called Amendment 4. So people like Ricardo won't have to go to the governor and beg. After their sentence is complete, their debt paid, they automatically will have their voting rights restored. This is one of the largest expansions of voting rights in modern times. It's so significant that advocates compare it to the passage of the Voting Rights Act in 1965. The Amendment
3: 4 alone uh, has re-enfranchised about one of every four people nationally who had lost the right to vote. Just a single amendment in a single state has made that much of a difference.
2: When I spoke to Crystal Mason in September, she had just days until she had to go back to prison. She was upset, especially when she talked about her kids and her derailed future.
1: I'm the prime example of rehabilitation. When I got out in 2015, I got in school. I got a job, and then I went and got a better job. I was still being a provider to my kids, being a mother, number one. I opened up an event center. I have all these positives that you should be focused on, but you turn around and try to penalize me for something I didn't know.
2: WITH LESS THAN A WEEK TILL PRISON, DO YOU KNOW WHAT CRYSTAL WAS DOING?
1: I'VE BEEN TALKING TO THE COMMUNITY um, ABOUT VOTING. SO THIS IS MY DRIVE AND MY ENERGY. AND THAT'S IT. I GO, I WALK THE NEIGHBORHOOD, I'M PASSING OUT, a fl- I'm passing out FLYERS, I, I GOT PEOPLE COMING TO MY EVENT CENTER TONIGHT. WE'RE HOLDING A um, VOTER REGISTRATION DRIVE.
2: IN HER LAST DAYS OF FREEDOM, CRYSTAL WAS GETTING OUT THE VOTE. WHY?
1: so many people that I have talked to that's not on probation, that's um, that don't have a felony, and that has never voted. I have a 30-year-old that I spoke with, and I told her, please be my voice, please.
2: Recently, we called Crystal in prison. The background
4: noise can get a little loud at times. Hi, Crystal.
6: Hello, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Uh,
4: my name's Sam Levine. I'm a reporter at HuffPost. I cover voting rights here, and I've been closely following your case. And I'm here with my colleague, Catherine, who I know you talked to.
2: Hi, Crystal. When we spoke to her, Crystal said her teenagers were getting out the vote too. Her son and daughter knocked on doors for Beto O'Rourke.
6: And when she ran across people that kept saying, well, oh, voting is not gonna make a difference, she said she shared on my story. She said, Mom, I got so many people to vote off of your
2: story. Crystal used to be apathetic about voting. Remember how her mother had to nag her to do it? But now? in federal prison. She can't stop
4: watching politics on TV. Here's Sam asking her about it. Have you kept up with politics and the midterm elections we just had?
6: Yes, I've sat in front of the TV from 7.30 a.m. to, I think, 11. Yes, I have been all in it. It's so important now because, again, like I said, my case, if it was the right people in the office, It wouldn't have even went this far. She's doing okay, but as she said... I'm here, I feel like, for no reason. It's just
2: overwhelming. On the outside, Crystal's daughter is now responsible for keeping their household going.
6: I have a a 19-year-old baby that's trying to work and trying to pay
2: my mortgage. Crystal emails her kids, and she calls home as often as she can. But her phone time in prison is restricted. She gets about five hours a month. That comes out to about 10 minutes a day. So it's a challenge. But I run through the minutes so quick. Five hours per month, the way you talk? You're chatty. I know, that's what I was thinking. (laughs) Wow, that isn't that long, especially when you're trying to also parent, you know? Correct, yes. Because a lot of that is like, did you, did you do that? Did this get paid? Oh, Lord. And then she wants to say, oh, well, Mom,
6: can I go here? No, I, I don't want you to go out. I just want you to stay focused. Like, okay, so you want me to be the parent, but yet I can't have fun.
2: Yes, that's what I want. <laughs> that sounds like pretty typical conversations. That, that part hasn't changed. No, yeah.
4: You can tell Catherine's a mom.
2: <laughs> Imagine trying to balance how much encouragement you give your kids in those quick prison calls and how much to stay on them to keep them focused. When do you discipline them? When do you comfort them and tell them it's going to work out, even if you're not sure?
4: People use a very powerful word when or phrase when they talk about your case. They use the phrase voter suppression. Do you think what happened to you is voter suppression.
6: I felt like with them proving a point to ensure that I go to jail before this election, then that would stop a lot of people from going to the polls. That would stop a lot of, um, we can say, the Black community. It makes you skeptical. Oh, no, I'm not going to do it, because I don't know. But what
2: would Crystal say to those skeptics?
6: Don't let that stop them. What they need to do is get educated, get more knowledge on what they can do. Um, if, If they're eligible, then by means, go vote. And if they're not, find out when they are.
2: Crystal's been incarcerated since September. Her case has attracted attention. Right now, there are two petitions online seeking a pardon for her. Justice for Crystal has more than 39,000 signatures, and another petition has 76,000. She's trying to stay positive, but she can't bear to think of the holidays. When I asked her about her plans to video chat with her family, she got silent. She didn't want to talk about it. But she is getting mail.
6: I've been getting a lot of support letters, a lot of people reaching out to me, letting me know I'm in mean, their prayers.
2: One gentleman wrote her that he was absolutely sick and angry about her prosecution. A
6: lot of people see the unfairness of this situation and just, uh, I don't know, really. I'm just so overwhelmed with it. It's kind of like, you know how, like, you're stuck in a dream, like, this is just not true? It's just unbelievable, you know? These are doors that I said I'll never come back to, and yet I'm here.
2: Crystal is appealing her conviction, But if the appeal isn't successful, she could be incarcerated until 2024. You've been listening to Shut Out, a podcast about the fight to vote in America. I'm your host, Katherine St. Louis. Next time on Shut Out, we're going to Georgia. Georgia is the belly of the beast when it comes to voter suppression in our country right now. And we'll hear from people on the ground fighting for their right to vote in America. This episode was written and reported by Sam Levine and me. We're edited by Sam Story. Additional reporting by Angelina Chapin. I produced this episode with studio assistance from Nick Offenberg and Sarah Patterson. Special thanks to Paul Josephson, Joe Confino, and Angelina Chapin. And a huge thumbs up to HuffPost's Mark Jenks, who managed this production with grace. Shut Out is a production
4: of HuffPost, Hey, listeners, it's Sam Levine at HuffPost. If you liked Shut Out, take a listen to Peace of Mind, a new podcast by singer and songwriter B. Beeman. It's actually a new album, but he's released. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. it as a podcast. Each episode features a different song accompanying conversations and storytelling about the issues that inspired it. Issues like voter suppression and immigration. We think you might like episode three of Peace of Mind. It's all about voter suppression and features an in-depth interview with Dale Ho, the director of the Voting Rights Project at the ACLU. New episodes are available every Friday. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.